0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 67 of Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatile. Today I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He is the worldwide healthcare industry leader on the Microsoft Azure industry experiences team. He has more than 24 years of experience in healthcare, spanning provider, payer, pharmaceutical, and life sciences segments worldwide. And has deep experience and expertise in privacy, security, compliance, blockchain, artificial intelligence, machine learning and cloud computing. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome the one and only David Holding. Welcome, David.
1: Thanks very much Abraham, great to be
0: here. Thanks so much for joining. So David, what are some of the amazing things people are doing with Microsoft Azure in the healthcare industry?
1: Yeah, well, there's so many. I mean, you read some of them off: blockchain, Internet of Medical Things, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Uh, just amazing, transformational things going on, and you know, cloud is being used in wonderful new ways to really add value to healthcare. You know, whether it's reducing healthcare costs, whether it's improving patient outcomes and quality of care. Or even just improving the experience of healthcare professionals or patients, you know, better patient engagement, Um, wonderful things happening and and great opportunities going forward.
0: For sure, you know, I've read things that are fascinating such as bandages that are uh, controlled by artificial intelligence to deliver uh, the right amount of antibiotic and eyeglasses that monitor blood pressure
1: yeah, phenomenal. Really interesting. And I think, you know, whenever you're talking about Internet of Medical things like that, devices or wearables of various kinds, uh, or even implantables, um, the, one often misses that the back end is, you know, the, what's processing the data and making the decisions is not visible, but it's very much there. And that's the opportunity, in a, you know, with one of the things I'm most excited about is artificial intelligence and machine learning and healthcare. And the synergy there is all that data coming from devices, you know, in the patient implantables, whether they're on the patient wearables, whether they're around the patient in the patient. Pretty room. soon implanted in their brains. It could be absolutely. But all this data streaming has wonderful uh, insights embedded in it that can be gleaned to really add value and really move the needle in a positive way in healthcare. And a lot of the AI machine learning can run in the cloud in a very agile, scalable you know, flexible manner. And um, so we're very, very focused right now on AI and machine learning and healthcare and how it can really assist and augment healthcare professionals. I think that's a really important thing is not seeing it as a, you know, there's a lot of sort of fear mongering about AI and the reality is a lot of it is very task oriented. It's very narrow AI and it's really going to augment and assist uh, rather than be some general sort of thing that will compete with a healthcare professional. And so there's an opportunity for healthcare professionals to leverage this as one of the tools in their tool set uh, to deliver bas- better patient healthcare and, um, and, you know, get control of that, that fire hose of data, you know, whether it's from IoT or whether it's from um, consumer health, you know, there's just so much data, even just digitized healthcare records, making sense of that. In a way that delivers, you know, real time insights and empowers them to deliver better healthcare, while, you know, not spending less time, sort of data crunching and doing those mundane things and hopefully freeing them up to spend more time with the uh, patients.
0: And I think it's going to go even further than that, where it's not even going to be a choice anymore because th- there are reports out there that there are going to be something like 50 billion connected devices by the year 2020. And I just saw one recently that said 100 billion. All right, let's do 200 billion, right? What the heck? Um, the point is, there are going to be so many devices generating deluges of data. Right. You know, it's going to generate so much data that a human's just not going to be able to go through all that data and get anything meaningful out of it. So we're going to need to work together with AI, whether we like it or not.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And in a sense, these internet of medical things, they're they're adding eyes and ears and sensors of all different kinds to the internet, right? And to the AI machine learning on the the back end. And that's the exciting part because the more data that goes into those, the better the inference can get. And the more Useful the insights can be, and the the better it can improve uh, healthcare. So, I think there's an amazing opportunity there. One of the other ways I look at this is you know, right now, a lot of these transformational technologies, uh, the healthcare industry looks at them as optional. Do we want to do that or not? I think there'll come a time when AI and machine learning is so useful that a doctor might be. a remiss in not actually using these, right, is uh, why aren't you using these tools to help you deliver better care to this patient? It's like autonomous driving, right? We think, you know, that's dangerous today, but there will come a time when autonomous driving is 10X or 100X safer than a human driver, and you will pay more insurance, I think, for driving your own car than if you have, a, if you have an autonomous you know, car. Um, I think a similar thing will be said of AI and machine learning and healthcare is, Hey, these are critical tools to leverage as part of your, your tool chest, you know, whatever the healthcare professional, whether it's a radiologist, dermatologist, you know, primary care physician, um, these are tools you should be using to take into account all the data available to give you the best insights, to help you with diagnosis and and all kinds of aspects, or even things like anti-fraud, if you're talking about payer healthcare, um, you know, these will be essential tools, and, and there will come a time when it, it will be questionable whether it's uh, the professional thing to do to not use these tools.
0: When people think about AI and Internet of Things, or in this case, Internet of Medical Things, people are usually thinking about the wearables or the patient facing devices. But one of the things that um, Microsoft is known for is their cloud platform, the Azure platform. How is that playing a role? How is that back-end technology playing a role for all our IT enthusiasts out there?
1: Yeah, great question. So, I mean, just building on what we were talking about before, the brains behind IoT is what's processing that data on the back-end. And more often than not, that's going to be artificial intelligence, machine learning, giving real-time insights from the data but it's good to think of IoT, not just in terms of, you know, the device and the cloud, because oftentimes there's uh, this intermediate points of processing. What I mean by that, it's almost a, a spectrum. Uh, we call it the intelligent edge at, at Microsoft and we've got, you know, Azure Stack is like an on prem cloud solution. But now we've got Azure IoT Edge where you can run a gateway, like an industrial gateway for IoT, or it could even be a Raspberry Pi. And what's happening is your IoT devices are talking to this gateway. Why would they do that? Well, it gives much faster response, much lower latency, and some IoT needs that, right? Because if a medical device is malfunctioning, you know, let's say you have a certain AI machine learning that detects a certain pattern of malfunction in a medical device, if it starts malfunctioning, the quicker you can detect that and shut it down, you know, it could have real patient safety benefits. So you don't, you want to really minimize your latency. And that's one reason why you might want to have an IoT gateway, a sort of IoT edge, Azure IoT edge gateway on-prem, basically local with with the medical devices for super low latency. And another aspect of it is if you have either, you know, say intermittent or unreliable connectivity between the medical devices and the, the cloud, what you may want to do is have a gateway uh, platform local that you can aggregate the information even process some of it locally and then you know send it up to the the azure cloud and then uh, the logic and and you know uh, user interfaces and so forth on the back end as connectivity permits another reason people often do sort of local processing for iot is uh, you know, compliance, security, privacy, compliance, is sometimes the data is really sensitive and you want to keep it local. There's actually some laws and data, data protection laws and regulations that compel that, that, you know- that, well, I know uh, in
0: the medical field, especially, they're very, very uh, protective about their data.
1: Absolutely. And sometimes the, the actual laws require that data to stay within certain geographical boundaries, or in some cases, even within the, you know, four walls of the, the healthcare facility.
0: How does the IoT Edge gateway compare to Fog computing?
1: I mean, it's kind of similar, right? It's a spectrum. It's bringing the cloud more local for certain use cases. Um, I, th- I think it, the way to approach it is really coming at it from a use case standpoint. What is your use case? What do you need to do? And then as it's being implemented, you need to think about, you know, what kind of data are you dealing with? What are the security privacy compliance requirements? Um, based on that data and your geographical locations, right, of your local facility, of the cloud, et cetera. And what's your connectivity like? What's your latency requirements? And then, you know, decide whether you want to put it in the cloud, like the Azure cloud, or whether you want to put it local in Azure IoT Edge. Or, you know, there's also Azure Sphere, which we haven't talked about, which is really a security, securing IoT end-to-end from the device itself, even from the hardware level at the stack of the IoT device you know, secure, hardware-secured microcontroller unit, um, and then, you know, secure operating system, and even, you know, Azure Sphere security services on the back-end Azure Cloud. So, um, again, it really goes back to the use case for the healthcare organization. What's the use case? What's the sort of business values sought? What's the best way to implement this given constraints of privacy, security, compliance, uh, latency, connectivity, et cetera?
0: And this is a really great point because... Security is uh, on the forefront of everybody's mind. And I'm sure that is one of the things that is uh, holding back people from implementing many IoT solutions. And they're trying to figure out, well, how can we keep this stuff secure? There's so many different data breaches. We've got a lot of sensitivity. So it's really great to to hear from you the different types of solutions that are out there for uh Sensitive uh, applications.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm, I'm uh, I wear the cybersecurity hats and the privacy hats, and uh, and I'm deep in those areas. So it's it's very close to my heart. Um, you know, uh, security and privacy are incredibly important. They're not usually the end business goal. The business goal is delivering better patient care, or reducing costs. But security, privacy, compliance are incredibly important. If you don't do those well, you can fail. Uh, you can fail because of breaches because of disruption from things like ransomware or DDoS, distributed denial of service attacks, or um, non-compliance with regulations or privacy firestorms like we've seen, uh, incredibly important things to take care of. And you really want to think about, you know, what type of data you're dealing with, right? And what are, where is that data moving? Where, where are you collecting it? Where are you storing it? Where are you using it or processing? Where are you sharing it? You know, are you sharing it with third parties? Um, how are you disposing of it? A lot of people don't think about disposing of information, but a lot of regulations require you dispose of it when you don't need it anymore. And, you know, if you're found with data that you shouldn't really have and it's breached, you know, you've got some difficult um, explaining to do, right? So you got to think about the data, the full life cycle, the location, applicable regulations, data protection laws. And then think about you know, protecting it not just from a confidentiality and breach standpoint, but protecting it from an integrity standpoint. If we're dealing with data from Internet of Medical Things sensors, if that gets uh, modeled with, or it doesn't come through with uh, accuracy, or you know, uh, you know, in time, uh, proper time, you know, um, you know, if it's delayed somehow, uh, it can have real patient safety ramifications. So you got to protect the integrity of data you've got to protect the availability of data. We've seen the, the kind of disruption that ransomware can have. But when we're dealing with cloud and fog and sort of Azure oh. IoT edge and you know, we, we have these network links between critical components of the distributed system. And if, um, if those links become unavailable because of something like DDoS attack, then um, it's very disruptive and uh, attacks to availability can actually be uh, far worse especially for a healthcare provider than um, breaches of confidentiality because a disruption to critical healthcare services for a provider can be a direct patient safety risk
0: exactly so let's talk about security so blockchain is another disruptor in the industry what type of blockchain applications are you seeing in healthcare
1: Yeah, it's just a phenomenal area of innovation and uh, very close to my heart as well. Love love innovating in that space, working with many different partners. But the kinds of opportunities I'm seeing with blockchain really hinge around, uh, you know, in the near term, hinge around existing B2B networks. When you think of blockchain, you really got to think about what's the network of healthcare organizations, because it's really a, a B2B middleware. It's not something that one healthcare organization should really implement internally. It's more of a a thing that you implement when there's a consortium of organizations that need to collaborate around a specific use case. So it turns out the hard part about blockchain is not so much the technology, it's building that consortium of healthcare organizations to the point where they they buy in and they uh, trust enough that they will connect their systems to a blockchain and transact. And so for that reason, where blockchain is taking hold uh, near-term is existing B2B networks. These are networks of healthcare organizations that already exist. They are collaborating with a hub-and-spoke architecture like a clearinghouse or health information exchange, or um, in some cases they're collaborating via very antiquated technologies like faxes, kind of just an ad hoc sort of B2B network um but blockchain is being dropped into these sort of b2b networks to add value to add real business value um such as you know uh, improving transparency reducing um uh, cost uh, improving response times reducing fraud um you know through the immutability of the the shared ledger but also the transparency to detect new types of fraud quicker and stop loss um you know eliminating single points of failure as one of the things that blockchain can do because it's the uh, decentralization. Um, so some of the specific use cases around existing B2B networks, drug supply chain, so tracking drugs all the way from manufacturing to distribution to dispensaries like pharmacies. Why would we do that with blockchain? Well, you can verify the provenance, the authenticity, the, in- the integrity of the drugs, and the safety for the patient to consume them. So at the point of buying the drug, imagine if you get it over the internet or something, You want to make sure it's not counterfeit and it's safe to consume right well imagine if you had a qr code or some app and on the back end was a blockchain where Mm -hmm. when you scan that that code it could go to the blockchain and say um hey this drug was manufactured on this date you know by this manufacturer and they could it could see the the evidence of that drug moving through the supply chain so it was asserted with a high level of confidence that drug was authentic and safe to consume uh, of course, rooting out counterfeit drugs is a big value of um, drug supply chain using blockchain. Uh, a lot of uh, sort of uh, drug counterfeiting goes on. That's a big type of fraud. Um, but just just general uh, transparency, the operational efficiency you glean from better transparency throughout the supply chain is a value. Now, similar to that is uh, a different use case uh, for blockchain medical device track and trace. So think of tracking medical devices, could be those internet of medical things you were talking about, but tracking them all the way from manufacturing to distribution to retail to, you know, use throughout the life cycle of a healthcare provider, even, you know, multiple life cycles of use as they're resold. Um, and why would you do that? Well, if there was a recall of one of those medical devices today, it could take over a year to get all the devices back in and this real patient safety issues with the longer it takes, right? So if we're talking a- about
0: things like blood pressure monitors, yeah. uh, oximeters and things like that.
1: Exactly. If it's malfunctioning, you know, giving bad data, or you know, um, doing something that could directly endanger the patient, like a an MR, a MRI machine that's delivering too much, you know, magnetic flux or something, um, you don't. Yeah. You want to re- get that back in as quickly as possible. So blockchain has a real value to uh, be able to better coordinate and shorten those recall times, as well as. Track the integrity and the, the sort of maintenance of medical devices throughout their their lifetime and so like with a car, you can there's, there's some degree of being able to look up the history of a car when you buy a used car right to see is this car a lemon or you know and so the idea is to be able to do that with medical devices as well right so at the point of of um, deployment, you can see what's the record of this device, has it been properly maintained, has it had any issues, et cetera. Then there's a provider directory. So directory information for healthcare uh, provider, professionals, uh, doctors, et cetera. And um, that uh, directory information is maintained in these, all these separate silos today. And what happens is if there's a change to that information, it doesn't get updated in all those silos uh, at once. What happens is each silo needs to be updated independently. So there's a lot of redundant effort to update information. And when that information is out of sync, for example, between a healthcare provider and a healthcare payer, the claims can actually bounce and you get all kinds of operational frictions and and work that gets created for for, administrative staff to get payments flowing again when you have these disparities. So the idea is is rather than have directory information maintained in all these disparate silos, what if we could put that on a a shared secure uh, ledger, a blockchain, and update in one place, and that automatically becomes available to the whole consortium. So great value there in terms of reducing redundancy and uh, improving operational efficiency, uh, less claims bouncing and so forth. Um, Provider credentialing, another one, like a doctor has to have like MD and other credentials to practice, right? Those vary according to their specialty, et cetera. And today, you know, before they can practice at a healthcare facility, they have to have those credentials verified. And it could actually delay them being able to practice. And many of them practice at different facilities that have to be verified at every facility and then every two years at every facility thereafter. So huge amount of redundant work in verifying credentials and delays with doctors practicing. What if the credentials and the verifications of those credentials could be on blockchain? And uh, uh, as the doctor wants to practice at a new facility, they could go to the blockchain and see these are the credentials for this uh, position on this blockchain. I can see that Many other trusted sort of healthcare organizations have already verified these credentials, good to go, go ahead and practice. Um, so real benefits in, in operational efficiency and reducing work through uh, provider credentialing using blockchain. Um, and, you know, it's just, there's so much opportunity. Um, that's just a few of the, the, the cases um, for blockchain in healthcare. One of the other ones is anti-fraud. Um, You know, blockchain is very good at anti-fraud because anything you put on the blockchain is immutable. So um, a lot of fraud happens because fraudsters um, modify or delete information in electronic form, you know, for fraudulent gain, for personal gain. And um, blockchain basically blocks that, right? You cannot change data that's on the blockchain. So it effectively blocks that type of fraud. Um, Another way fraud happens is people create new fraudulent transactions and the problem is if those transactions are going into a siloed system that like three other people look at their chance of detecting those new fraudulent transactions is very reduced because there's very little sort of supervision or visibility fraud loves to happen in the dark right well what blockchain could do is uh, as a new fraudulent transaction becomes visible on the blockchain it's visible to a consortium of organizations your chance of actually being able to detect those new fraudulent transactions faster is greatly improved by blockchain. And um, the faster you detect fraud, the faster you can block it, the faster you can automate anti-fraud to catch that again, like whether you're doing AI machine or machine learning to to detect it and block it. Um, So the transparency blockchain brings can also really improve the uh, anti-fraud.
0: That is really fascinating uh, to think about all the different types of applications uh, that not just blockchain, but all these technologies we talked about today can offer, where just a few years ago, they were practically science fiction, and today they're coming to life.
1: Absolutely. And uh, it's like they say, the future's already here. It's just not evenly spread, right? And when we look at, you know, AI machine learning, when we look at blockchain, when we look at Internet of Medical Things, these are some of the futures that aren't evenly spread because a lot of people are talking about them, looking at them, considering them, not necessarily doing them, right? And so to, to get ahead of the curve, to, to actually um, figure out where these technologies fit in with your organization, one of the things we're, we're very focused on is how do we make it easier to introduce these these technologies into an organization in a way that minimizes the the heavy lift from their standpoint if you will so we spend a lot of time on things like blueprints um, say for AI and healthcare and the idea is that you know rather than just present a how-to and then say how about it with the cloud or something like that you know the blueprint is actually a bundle of guidance in terms of architecture um, how to information but also Automated deployment, executable code, test data, and, um, you know, the security and compliance support around it. So the idea is that if I am a healthcare organization, you know, I don't want necessarily a project, I want a solution. And the closer I can get to that solution out the starting gate, the better. So starting with a blueprint like this is a lot better than just starting with a how-to and a blank canvas, right? So download the blueprint, they, they configure it, they install it, they run it, and then they can see, they can actually see it working, a reference architecture for AI and healthcare, and then they can customize it to their particular use case. It may be a slightly different use case. Um, it may be that they're subject to slightly different security compliance, you know, privacy uh, regulations and requirements, data protection laws. Uh, they may want a slight change in the architecture, like a different database because they have a different type of data, et cetera. But the, the idea is to get them 50 to 90% to the end solution through one of these blueprints. Um, so they don't have to develop it from scratch. And so we we have these blueprints right now for AI and healthcare. One of the ones I'd, I'd recommend anyone's interested in looking at this, have a look at aka.ms slash AI blueprint, all one word AI blueprint and
0: And I'm going to post that on the show notes so people can just click on that.
1: Perfect. That's a great idea. Yeah, I think that would be a lot easier. Um, But, you know, also with blockchain, we're talking about blockchain. We have this uh, rapid development environment for blockchain where you can go into the Azure cloud, into the Azure blockchain workbench. And what the workbench is, is it's a way you can rapidly prototype your blockchain. Uh, So it takes a lot of the technical complexity out of it and the deployment of it becomes a lot easier because you're not shipping hardware trying to stand it up in your DMZ, build a software stack, configure it, et cetera. Um, you're, de- you're rapid uh, prototyping your blockchain in the Azure cloud, deploying it to the Azure cloud on enterprise Ethereum now, and uh, soon we'll be adding Hyperledger Fabric and R3 Corda, which are the three sort of industrial strength um, blockchains out there. But you can run any of those today in, in Azure cloud cloud. Uh, but the idea is to really enable consortiums of healthcare organizations to rapidly get started with blockchain. Because again, it's the future, but it's not even the spread. If you want to get started, you've got to get hands-on, right? As uh, so- soon you get hands-on, and start actually experimenting, piloting, learning what worked well, what can we improve, and iterating, those are going to be the early leaders that will establish these um, beachheads, if you will, in blockchain around killer apps, killer use cases, And what'll happen is as they demonstrate business value, which we expect to happen later this year, we'll start seeing it into 2019. uh, You'll see more and more healthcare organizations join into these these winning blockchains and uh, it'll be relatively easy for those blockchains to then layer on top additional use cases. Like let's say they started with provider credentialing. Uh, Once you've got that network of healthcare organizations plugged in and transacting, it's trivial technically to add a new use case on of mutual interest. Like now we're gonna do, you know, say we started with provider credentialing, now we're gonna do provider directory, we're gonna do clearinghouse, et cetera. You know, it's, the hard part is getting the organizations to connect and, and transact and adding new use cases just adds a lot more business value. And you get this kind of network effect happening with blockchain, right? As the more organizations you plug into it and the richer the use cases, the value of the blockchain and plugging into it gets compounded, right? And I think the time will come with blockchain where it becomes essential for healthcare organizations. It's not just the new thing to do. Right, you won't be able to live without it soon. Exactly, there's real cost reduction value. There's real value in improving patient care by plugging into blockchain. And I actually think over the next few years, we're probably gonna see uh, like a given healthcare provider connect to multiple blockchains by different use cases. There'll be one for you know, provider credentialing, one for clearinghouse, et cetera. But over time, the hope is those will sort of aggregate and become more of a single blockchain platform.
0: Sort of like a new evolution of the internet.
1: Yeah, exactly. Where we started off with a lot of sort of islands and then they got bigger and bigger and amalgamated and, and sort of uh, joined together. And and the, that paves the way for rich smart contracts and DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations, all that All that stuff starts to make a lot more sense the richer the data on the blockchain. If we have today like an archipelago of blockchain islands and they're not connected, then each one has a little tidbit of data, but no one of them has enough data to do really, really interesting things with smart contracts and DAOs. But over time, I think we'll see that. The key thing is to get started, right, with blockchain and um, definitely encourage uh, viewers to look at the um, Azure Blockchain Workbench uh, you can go to uh, aka.ms slash bc workbench. Uh, yeah. Maybe we can put a link to that in the notes as well. Um, great resource to get started. Again, kind of up levels so you can focus more on the business value, the the uh, actual piloting, the consortium building, et cetera, and less on the sort of technical complexities and deployment complexities of blockchain.
0: You know, this is really fascinating and it's it's just amazing what's uh, happening today and what's around the corner. So, David, what do you think will be the next
1: disruptor in healthcare? Well, I think definitely those, those three things are going to be big. Uh, one I don't hear people talking a lot about, but I think we should be talking about, is 5G. And the reason why is, um, you know, 5G is actually being rolled out in, in major cities this year and what does 5G mean? It's not just like the next step in wireless uh, technology. It's it's going to fundamentally change the latency of you know a wireless uh, interactions. So today with with 4G we might get you know 100 or 200 millisecond round trip latency. With 5G you're talking about sub one millisecond, right? So what that means is for AR VR, you don't have to have that. Honking PC right next button next door and for those that have tried VR that tether to it um, You could have a headset that's doing 5g to the cloud and the cloud has these big big servers that, that can easily crunch data required for VR and AR and And deliver that experience and Internet of Things, you know today, you know 4g is kind of limiting in, in the number of um, things you can have in a given sort of area Uh, 5g is going to radically increase that from you know by several orders of magnitude so you can have many more uh, much greater density of things if you will internet medical things but all kinds of things car sensors etc so it's going to pave the way for much more iot and it's also going to greatly increase bandwidth Um, so you can you can do a lot uh, faster data transfer which can be really important for things like ai machine learning Um, But autonomous driving, you know, all kinds of things are going to be made better through 5G. And 5G is actually one that's going to be very transformational. And it's a lot closer than a lot of people think. And it's very synergistic with a lot of the other technologies we talked about, especially the AI and the Internet of Medical things. So definitely keep an eye on uh, 5G. We actually put together a blog on um, healthcare on 5G. I can send you the link for that if you're interested. Or for any readers that are interested, that might be something to take a, a look at. Um, as a next step um, definitely one of the things you want to keep an eye on because today a lot of the workloads are done locally um, or on the client side um, because of network connectivity either latency is too high or connectivity is too expensive or uh, bandwidth's not high enough i think 5g is going to change that radically so that it'll become feasible to put a lot more workloads in the cloud than it was feasible before um, and so what you want to think about if you're planning out your cloud computing strategy for the next sort of three, five, or more years, um, you know, think about uh, how 5G may impact because uh, a lot of the workloads you might have had to run on-prem or local before due to some of those constraints, you you could easily do it much more cost-effectively and, and with much better agility and scalability uh, in the cloud, like in the Azure cloud.
0: Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how things uh, come together in, in a year or two. Yeah. So, so, David, we have a few questions that came in from the audience. Great. Um, our first question is from Evan Kerstel. Okay. He's a B2B influencer in IoT, artificial intelligence, cloud, telecom, and a whole bunch of other things. And uh, Evan says, on the internet, we trust no one. How can we build trust in the cloud for healthcare applications?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And it reminds me of five or 10 years ago when cloud first emerged and people perceived it to be way too risky. Um, Ironically, the opposite is the case now. I think a lot of people are uh, questioning whether, you know, keeping data in their own data center is more risky. But it it has to do with, I mean, trust is something that's built slowly over time, right? and, and so the thing is to get started, but in a sensible way that you're paying attention to privacy, security, compliance, and partnering with a, a cloud provider that, that is really good at those. Um, and, and keep an eye on, on perceived risk versus actual risk. Um, you know, one of the things with, with security, people often uh, mistakenly equated with um, confidentiality and breaches. So securing something means avoiding a breach. And that's certainly true. Breaches is definitely one type of attack that compromises healthcare. Um, but the other things, so in terms, there's actually been studies done on cloud and what's the perception, like my data is not, not, uh, not safe from breach if it's in the cloud versus the reality is of all the incidents that have occurred in the cloud, what is the nature of those incidents? Have they been breaches? The vast majority of incidents with cloud have actually been on the availability side. So any security professional is tasked with protecting confidentiality, integrity, availability, and what you want to think about when you put your data in the cloud is how do you protect its confidentiality through access controls, through encryption, etc. How do you protect its integrity through hashing and um, you know blockchain and things like that? And how do you protect its availability? And availability of, of the cloud isn't just the nines of the data center. It's whether you're making use of different availability zones, whether you're doing load balancing, automated failover, whether you have redundant communications to the data center. Because if you put stuff in the cloud, you can't get to it even though it's there and it's running, your connectivity has gone down. Uh, that's a big problem for healthcare. It could be very disruptive. So get started with cloud. You know, Think about if you're a healthcare organization, how do you build trust? Um, pick a workload that you have that's maybe less risk in your view and uh, consider putting that in the cloud and getting started and uh, pay attention to holistic security, so protecting um, You know, having administrative, physical and technical safeguards, end to end, not just the cloud, but what's on your facility as well, right? The client side of your compute and your facility itself. So uh, administrative, physical and technical safeguards, uh, think about protecting confidentiality, integrity and availability of data um, in the cloud and... um, and you know, I think that the thing is to get started. A trust is something that's built up over time, and um, it, no healthcare organization realistically is going to do a big bang that's move everything overnight to the cloud, right? It takes time, and but you got to get started, right? It's one of those uh, technologies that's that's not even new. It's been around for you know five or ten years, but it's not even spread. There's a lot of healthcare that's not using cloud yet, or is not using it nearly to the level that they could be, and so. They're incurring a lot more costs. They have on-prem uh, hardware that, that takes a lot more maintenance and staff to maintain it, and capital sunk costs, etc. cetera. Um, this is one of those technologies. You, you want to get started if you haven't. And if you have started, you know, are there ways you can grow it and, and do it in a sensible way that, that adequately mitigates risk and um, helps you build trust? Great.
0: Our next question is from Ken Heron. He's the Chief Marketing Officer of intelligent IoT messaging company, Unified Inbox in Orlando, Florida. Ken says, hi, David. Everyone says that artificial intelligence and IoT are going to transform healthcare. As you're on the inside, what personally gets you most excited of all the coming changes you see?
1: I'd have to say I'm, I'm a very applied type of person. I, um, I came out of an engineering background, so I guess excited about technology, but not so much from a theoretical standpoint, but from an applied standpoint, like how can we apply this to healthcare and for real you know, benefit in terms of improving patient care, improving patient outcomes, reducing costs, et cetera. And um, so it, it's really, um, how could it be applied and, and for AI, you know, it, it's really the, the value it can bring in terms of helping us glean new insights real time from a fire hose of data that's coming in, just from digitized health records from health information exchange. But soon from, you know, and growing from IoT, Internet of Medical Things, uh, consumer health, etc. How are we going to deal with that data? It's, it's with AI machine learning. And, and so some super exciting applications of AI happening in radiology and dermatology. And uh, being able to, you know, augment and assist radiologists, dermatologists, other kinds of healthcare professionals in their diagnostics, Um, but also doing things like, you know, if a facility takes, you know, a thousand x-rays in a day, having the AI, a bank of AIs running in the background to detect secondary things that the original physician may not have seen, Or being able to triage, let's say you take a thousand x-rays in a day, it could triage those overnight and come back the next morning and say, these 10 patients, you need to look at them immediately because they have an imminent uh, episode that could happen, whether it's a heart attack or something. And so helping triage and and helping healthcare act in a, a way that, you know, minimizes risk of episodes, which can have huge cost ramifications, but also patient quality of life ramifications. So um, on the IoT side, again, I love the application of that in the sense. I think of it as the eyes and ears of the, the internet and the AI and the machine learning. Uh, today, a lot of the input to the internet comes through our fingers and you know us entering data. I think IoT and IOMT is going to radically change that where most of the data will come in from these devices and having the intelligence on the back end, the AI, the machine learning will, will enable us to get insights we can't even imagine. Uh, today, so in, in summary, it's really the application of these uh, these technologies. Hopefully, that added a bit of color for you.
0: Yeah, and it's really exciting to think about.
1: Absolutely, yeah, it's a fast-paced uh, uh, sort of occupation as well. Is you know these things are evolving in in sort of real time. So every day, you know, what keeps me excited is is learning all the new stuff that's happening. You know, uh, different partners applying technology, different innovations and how, you know, I'm 100% focused on healthcare. So I'm I'm always looking for ways that, you know, these things can be applied to healthcare, whether it's provider healthcare, whether it's payers insurance, whether it's, you know, pharmaceuticals, whether it's life sciences like biotech genomics, or even, you know, a lot of the partners we work with, we would consider them business associates under HIPAA or data processors abroad. You know, those that work with sensitive healthcare data, but aren't necessarily a covered entity um, or a, a data controller. Um, but you know, there's a lot of organizations out there working with, with healthcare data and adding value with some of these, uh, exciting new technologies.
0: So our next question is from Irma Rastegayva. She's the CEO and co-founder of Evira Health in Boston, Massachusetts. And Irma asks, what are the advantages and disadvantages of tech giants like Microsoft being in the healthcare space?
1: Yeah. Interesting question. And, uh, uh, I'll give you my perspective. It's it's my sort of opinion only. That's and my full disclosure. Obviously, I work for Microsoft, so take it in that sort of context. Um, but you know, I I am 100% focused on healthcare. Microsoft literally has thousands of people that are 100% focused on healthcare. We have doctors on staff, nurses on staff, and we have been in healthcare for decades. And you know, we have worldwide reach, so. One of the advantages is just the reach that Microsoft has in terms of being able to provide that that platform to make new things possible for healthcare, to empower healthcare, to do some of these new things. You know, if if every sort of startup needed to develop things from scratch, um, you know, it would take a lot longer to innovate. You've got big um, organizations like Microsoft bringing these platforms, whether it's Azure, whether it's Azure IoT Edge or Azure Stack or Azure Sphere, And these these platforms basically empower um, healthcare organizations and and startups and partners to to innovate and realize things much faster than they would be able to if they're developing everything from scratch. So I think that's one of the advantages. But just Microsoft's sort of investment in healthcare in terms of the staff that we have, the thousands of of healthcare uh, people worldwide, enables us to really understand the domain And to uh, figure out, you know, the application of technology. It's not just like we're developing these tools and saying healthcare, have at it. Um, There's people like myself that actually um, spend the majority of our time working on how can these actually be applied to healthcare, right? And we create these blueprints, like the AI and healthcare blueprint that I was telling you about, which are very much applied, you know, they've applied AI to healthcare to a specific use case uh, the one that I'm thinking of is actually implementing the patient length of stay prediction use case. Um, but there's these kinds of investments in these blueprints and other things to get healthcare rapidly started with these new technologies and actually applying them and actually uh, gleaning value from them. Um, disadvantages, um, it's, it's really around the investment big players like Microsoft need to make, right? I mean, it's, it's millions and millions of dollars over time probably billions that have been invested in building this team, building this domain, building all of the assets that we have that we bring to healthcare. And so it's, it's a big investment, um, but a lot of that is, has already happened over decades. And so we see very, very good things in terms of um, healthcare and opportunity and healthcare opportunity for us to empower healthcare to, to uh, deliver better care, improve patient outcomes, reduce costs, et cetera.
0: And another question by Irma, Uh, she asked, is blockchain and healthcare mostly hype? Or are there specific applications where blockchain makes sense? And what is Microsoft doing with this technology?
1: Another great question. And um, I actually just authored a blog um, on five practical use cases anchoring blockchain and healthcare. And maybe I can give you a link to that for interested readers. Um, but the, the uh, it's, it's really around the existing B2B networks where blockchain is anchoring in healthcare first. And um, in contrast, if you come up with a new use case for blockchain that people aren't doing today with without blockchain, um, you have to assemble that consortium of healthcare organizations and you have to build their trust and sell them on it and to the point they're willing to connect and transact with existing B2B networks. They're, those networks exist, you're just dropping blockchain in and adding value. And so... Um, also, if, if you ask, like, what kind of business value uh, uh, are the use cases adding, the ones that are successful, mostly around cost reduction. So if you're making an assertion that uh, this blockchain uh, uh, consortium will um, will improve uh, patient care, but, you know, may take a lot of time versus if you do this blockchain today, you're going to reduce your costs. Those kinds of use cases are getting early traction. So... Um, Health information exchange, uh, supporting collaborative care, clinical data sharing is one of the ones we see uh, getting traction. We're actually working with uh, Grapevine World, uh, is is a a leader in applying blockchain to that particular use case. And they're leveraging the IHE profiles for interoperability, et cetera. Um, There's drug supply chain. We talked about that use case. Um, We've got Adense in France is one of our partners uh, doing uh, blockchain for drug supply chain. And they actually make use of Microsoft Azure, full disclosure. We've got consortiums like Center for Supply Chain Studies driving consortiums of uh, organizations around the drug supply chain use case. And actually, that's an interesting use case from the standpoint that uh, there's actually regulatory forcing functions that are compelling that. um, uh, And blockchain isn't required by the regulations, but it's a great fit for the use case. So it's, it's actually a forcing function for blockchain and drug supply chain. Um, DSCSA is one of those regulations, Drug Supply Chain Security Act, which is driving the application of use uh, or application of blockchain to the drug supply chain use case. Um, Another use case for blockchain, uh, sort of anchoring blockchain in in healthcare is medical device track and trace. And we work with a partner, Spiritus Partners, on that. They're piloting with the NHS uh, this year. Um, provider Directory, Optum, and, and that whole cohort, I believe, United Health uh, Group. Uh, we've got um, Humana, Quest Diagnostics piloting the provider directory use case, the application of blockchain to provider directory. We've got provider credentialing, uh, Procredix, and Hashed Health uh, driving that use case. So, um, using blockchain for, for credentials of healthcare professionals and verifying those credentials. Um, so that's five. And, you know, if folks want to read more up on those. I'll give you the link to that blog I just wrote. But yeah, um, blockchain is here to stay in healthcare and it's going to grow. There's piloting happening this year. We will see the pilots complete. We'll see use cases, case studies, success stories, and it's going to snowball from there. I firmly believe it. And now what Microsoft's doing, um, you know, we're hosting a lot of blockchain uh, nodes. We have the uh, Azure Blockchain Workbench which again, is a rapid prototyping environment for uh, healthcare to prototype blockchains and uh, to deploy those blockchains very quickly to the cloud. So folks want to look at that. Um, again, it's aka.ms bcworkbench. But Abraham, I think you're going to include a link in your yeah. in your uh, post. So uh,
0: We're going to put all those links. So if you're listening to this and you're driving Please don't, unless you're in an autonomous vehicle, you know, don't, don't write it down. We'll uh, get that in the link. So you, when you're in a safe place, you can click on that and get right to it. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So as a follow-up question, Irma asks, what do you see as the most significant challenges to the Internet of Medical Things? What are Microsoft's efforts in this area?
1: Yeah. So one of the things is, um, you know, medical information is super sensitive, right? It's, it's often patients, uh, patient data. Um, and it's just sensitive because it's, it's such personal data, but also, um, it's, it's people that are, have health issues and are, are, um, you know, in a, in a sort of may often in a catastrophic state already. So they really need the protection, um, it's privacy security compliance is i think one of the big challenges with internet of medical things right how do you properly secure these devices um, and again confidentiality integrity availability um, you know sometimes these devices are medically regulated like uh, medical devices in healthcare facilities today they're fda regulated medical devices and the reality is they don't get patched uh, often they actually become sort of magnets for malware and And, um, you know, compromised medical devices, it could be a patient, direct patient safety risk as well as a confidentiality sort of uh, breach risk. So, um, you know, as these devices proliferate and especially as like it's one thing having an MRI machine that, you know, gets compromised and, you know, patient might see it once in their life. But if you have a device on you or in you, if it's an implantable and that gets infected, I mean... It's interesting because uh, we're almost at a, a fundamental inflection point where you could be infected by a biological virus or now a computer virus with that implantable that's in you, right? Um, so I think security privacy compliance is incredibly important. If you do those things well, you won't necessarily win. It's more around the, the business value you create to, to healthcare and patients. But if you do security privacy compliance badly, you could very easily lose. And so very, very important things to pay attention to for any organization doing internet of medical things. Have your security privacy compliance teams involved from the start, you know, what are the devices? What's the data being collected? Think of the whole data life cycle. How's data collected? Um, how's it stored? How's it used? How's it processed? How's it shared? And how is it uh, disposed of at end of life cycle? Don't just keep all the data you get. right? That's dangerous. Um, it greatly expa- um, exacerbates breaches if they occur uh, in the scope of data compromise so um, be proactive about it uh, be transparent about it in terms of privacy let patients know what you're collecting how you're using it what their rights are opt-in opt-out um, the right to review amend um, the right to be forgotten you know to delete their data some regulations and data protection laws compel it and we need to be thinking about that um But, you know, it's, it's uh, those devices can also be at higher risk of compromise because they're, you know, in security, we talk about if, if an attacker has physical access, then it's game over. Those devices are often in unsecure or less secure environments than your data center and, or the cloud that you're using. And so uh, they're much higher risk of um, tampering and uh, compromise. So, It's not just about securing the device, uh, but also, uh, you know, with encryption, for example, but you've got to secure it against tampering and all kinds of things. Another question
0: we have is from Clink IT Solutions, a Microsoft partner in Manila. I'd like to know more about how or if artificial intelligence can disrupt the healthcare industry and how soon it will be.
1: Yeah, I think this is a great question. And it I kind of think of what, what we were talking about earlier in terms of um, the futures here, it's just not even these spread and um, AI is already taken hold in healthcare. I mean it's it's already disrupting the healthcare industry. You see, you know, you see it used in speech recognition. You know, search engines are using AI and we use search engines to look up conditions, right? And go into our doctor and say, what does this mean? What does that mean? Um, there's chatbots emerging, there's diagnostic imaging, there's anti-fraud where AI and machine learning are used widely already. Um, you know, Some of those things are consumer facing, like chatbots, some are more back-end. So you don't see the AI and machine, learn ha- machine learning happening with anti-fraud, for example, but it's happening in a big way, right? And so um, it, it's definitely not a question of if AI and machine learning will happen, it already is. It's just really who's going to adopt it first and, and leverage the most business value out of it in terms of improving healthcare, reducing costs. Yeah. Great question. I mean, it's the opportunity is there, right? It's, it's about uh, embracing it and getting started is, is the advice I would leave is there's a lot of healthcare organizations sort of watching and sitting on the fence. Uh, the ones that uh, jump in, get their hands on, Um, learn how to use these tools how to leverage them and um, evolve with them are going to go they're going to be the forerunners right and they're going to do well and those that that don't um, are going to uh, not be able to to leverage the the business benefits and they will be increasingly at a disadvantage
0: great Uh, david i know you're a busy guy i'm going to let you go but just before we do how do people connect with you
1: yeah, hey, thanks so much for this opportunity. It's been great chatting with you and fascinating conversation. Um, to connect with me, look for me on uh, LinkedIn um, uh, or Twitter. I, I do extensive posting on both those platforms. And, um, you know, these fields are fast evolving. So a lot of what I shared is not stuff you can really pick up a textbook. But, um, you know, I post regularly. And if you're interested in these subjects, really encourage you to reach out, follow me, connect with me, and uh, we'll, we'll keep the collaboration going that way. Great.
0: David, thank you so much for joining the show and uh, sharing your time and your wisdom. I really appreciate having you.
1: Thanks, Abraham. It's been great.